Thanks, brother. I started just to go out with the kids, but <laughs> I guess I, I better Probably come. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Park will be preaching from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 in Ephesians, I'm going to be reading the first 10 verses there. All right. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's word. God. Thanks, Sean. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is breathed out by you and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equip us this morning for good works, that we might do them to your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. When America entered World War II, after the surprise attack by the Japanese on Pearl Harbor on uh, December 7th, 1941, it quickly became apparent that this was going to be a long war and that we were going to have to take the fight to Hitler, meaning that we weren't going to be able to defeat him in Africa or somewhere on the margins. We were going to have to invade France. We were going to have to take the battle straight to him. We had a task, but the problem is that our army was tiny. In fact, in 1939, just a couple years before, our army was smaller than that of Portugal's and was number 17 in the world. We only had 175,000 people in uniform. That wasn't going to be enough. There was a task at hand, but something had to happen first. Something had to be created, an army. By the end of the war, about 16 million men would have their fundamental status changed from that of civilian to soldier, ordinary citizen to warrior, so that they could fulfill a task that they had been given by good old Uncle Sam. There was a task that had to be done, but people's status had to be changed first in order for this task to be completed. As we think about the Christian life, verse 10 tells us that God has prepared good works for us to do beforehand. 
He's talking about the, before the world was created, God had planned for the good works that you and I as Christians were called to do. But in order for us to be able to carry them out, something had to drastically change about us. So think about our illustration. It's not that we were civilians that needed to be made warriors. We were fighting for the other side. We were fighting for the bad guys. We were those who were opposed to God's rule and reign. According to Romans chapter 5, we were indeed His enemies. And something had to change about us. And by God's grace, He has saved us, made us His so that we could accomplish the tasks that He had planned for us even before He created the world. We spoke last week about the condition of man apart from Christ and specifically who we are before Christ saves us. To summarize briefly, verse 1 says that we are spiritually dead, meaning that we are alienated from God. We are not on good terms with God and dead people don't know they're dead and dead people can't do anything about their deadness. And so somebody had to do something for us. Verse 2 tells us that the manner of life that we were living, we were actively living in accordance with the ungodly culture of those who opposed God, one of whom we were. Verse 2 also tells us that we were actually in a worse condition. We were under the sway and control of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, meaning Satan himself. Verse 3 says that we were following the desires of the flesh, those things which were contrary to the desires and will of God. And all this, according to verse 3, was because of our very nature. We were by nature children of wrath. We were operating out of who we were. We were opposed to God. We were sinners. Therefore, we sinned and we needed help. As we think about uh, our illustration in World War II... We were actively working for the very people who needed to be invaded. We weren't the good guys. And yet God had a plan, and it wasn't for our destruction, which we so justly deserved. The plan ultimately was for the glory of God that He might use us to extend the kingdom, that we might be the ones, we who were formerly those who were destined for destruction, that He might use us to proclaim the good news the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How glorifying it is to the Lord God Almighty that He would take those who did not even want Him and use us, having been transformed, to tell others about Jesus. It's like if you, like we talked about last week with an old uh, jalopy, an old car that's on, on cinder blocks. How amazing would it be to take something like that and clean it up so well that the president would want to use it as his personal limousine, you would brag about that one, right? And that's what God does about us. For his own glory, look what I've done to use for my glory. That he would clean us up and use us for his purposes. But something has changed about us. That's who we were. We were dead in our trespasses. But by God's grace, that's who we once were. Someone once said recently to me, that's my past and I no longer live there. I like that phrase, don't you? That's my past and I no longer live there. When millions of men showed up to the recruitment stations throughout America during World War II, either because they had volunteered or been voluntold by good old Uncle Sam through the draft, by the end of their oath of enlistment, their status had changed. They were no longer who they once were. 
It is something that happened in the past, but had ongoing ramifications when they found themselves in the trenches of the Battle of Bulge, like our own Liots. When they found themselves on destroyers out in the Pacific, like my own grandfather. They had done something in the past, something had been done to them, rather, that had ongoing ramifications. They continued to be soldiers and sailors and airmen serving their country. Paul says something very unique here. He uses some language that's very precise. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. This is translating a very particular tense in the Greek. And it means something that happened in the past with ongoing ramifications. There is something that has happened to us in Christ Jesus. At some point in our life, if we are Christians, we were saved. It happened in a moment even if we don't know exactly when that moment was. At that point, we were declared forgiven and declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. There was a sudden change in our condition from a child of wrath to a child of God, to following the prince of power of the air to now being a son of the living God. Something happened in that moment. And guess what? It has ongoing ramifications for the rest of our lives. It has changed us forever. We we now have a new condition. As we think about who we are, am I a teacher, am I a preacher, am I a mother, am I a father? Yeah, sure. But who we are is one who has been saved. In fact, the Greek might be literally translated as you are the having been saved ones. Who am I? The having been saved one, the one who has been saved, continues to be saved and will be forever. There's something new about us with ongoing ramifications, not just now, but for all of eternity. What have we been saved from? If you've got to be saved, you've got to be saved something, some, <laughs> from something, right? Spiritual death, that's a good one to be saved from. Eternal hell, that's a good thing to be saved from. Following the prince of the power of the air, fantastic, praise Jesus. Carrying out my desires, I fight that now. And that's with the Holy Spirit's help. He has saved us from all those things. We've been delivered, freed, redeemed, declared righteous. All because of what Christ has done in our past. This was done by God's grace. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is God's grace? It is Him giving us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve life. I was fighting for the Nazis, and now I've been declared righteous before God. As if I had done it all perfectly. Well, that doesn't describe my past. Does it describe yours? When Christ looks upon us, He doesn't see our own record. When the Father looks down upon us, He doesn't see all the filth we've done. He's forgotten our sins, not because He can't call them to mind, but He refuses to. Because He's applied to us what Christ has done. He's taken Christ's record and He's applied it to each and every one of us. So when the devil brings up things in your past, you say, God doesn't know about that. God doesn't remember those things. Therefore, I shouldn't either. I've been declared righteous. You've been declared righteous. We've been saved from those things. The debt that is owed because of our sin is not just something we can't pay for because it's too much. It's not that we, if we just chipped away at this, that we'd be able to pay it back one day. We're using the wrong currency. This is why it must be by God's grace. Something that He would give us that we don't deserve. When I was in seminary, um, this African student visited uh, our seminary for a conference. And he was a pretty well-off guy. 
He had plenty of money. He'd come for a week-long theology conference. He showed up, but he had a very real problem. He had gotten traveler's checks. That's a good thing to do. So that he could go to any bank here in the States and cash his traveler's checks so that he'd have money to pay for his hotel and his food. The problem is his traveler's checks were in euros, not in American dollars. And he had thousands of euros worth of American dollars. And not a single bank in Birmingham, which is home to what, at least two or three banks, not a single one of them could even cash them for him. They were the wrong currency. That's how it is with our salvation. It's not that we just don't have enough of the currency of good works in order to earn our salvation. It's the wrong currency altogether. It doesn't work like that. Our money's tainted. It's blood-stained by our sin. Therefore, God must give us forgiveness. He must give us salvation if we're going to have it at all. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't must give us in that sense. But if we're going to have it, it's got to come by God's grace. I'm convinced there are many people in our culture, many people in this town as cultural southern Christians that are relying on their good works in order to save them. My friends, that doesn't work. If you think that when you die, you go before God and He has a big scale on one side, He has good works, on the other side, He has bad works, and as long as the good works outweigh the bad, then you're okay. My friends, I beg you to come to know Jesus. Because that kind of equation will end us up in hell. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It must be a gift. Because we cannot earn it. How do we receive this gift? Through faith. Faith is one of those words we throw around a lot. You see on television, someone's in scandal. How are you going to get through this? Oh, my faith will get me through it. What does that even mean? It's not some fuzzy feeling, although there may be fuzzies in the Christian life, and it's nice when there are. Faith is something much more than a fuzzy feeling. It is belief and trust put together. It is seeing my situation that I deserve to be under God's wrath and curse for all of eternity. And yet someone, namely the God-man Jesus, has done all that is necessary for my salvation. That if I trust in Him, if I ask Him to forgive me of my sins and put my faith in Him, then He will save me. And there's no salvation outside the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark likes to use the illustration of a parachute talking about trust. Did you know when D-Day finally came on June 6, 1944, not all of the soldiers hit the beaches of Normandy? 13,000 soldiers of the 82nd and 101st Airborne Infantry Divisions jumped out of planes, perfectly good, some going down in flames, planes, as as they went behind enemy lines. And do you know when they jumped out of that plane, do you know what they were trusting in to get them to the ground? A piece of silk. A silk parachute. And their trust was entirely in that parachute. It was not in their ability to flap their wings. It was not in their ability to run really fast or to slow their progression down. They trusted in that parachute. 
And that's what it's like to trust in Jesus, knowing that He died for you, believing that it's true, and entrusting your eternal salvation to Him. We receive this salvation as a gift with the open hand of faith. Yes, Lord, save me. This means we can't brag. That's what this means. It means we can't brag. There's no boasting. So that no one may boast. As according to Romans 3.23, boasting is excluded. Because even the faith with which we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit makes us new in our hearts, gives us a new heart, regeneration, and causes us to call upon Him in faith and repentance. This we call conversion. Even that is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, we are saved for a purpose. God has a task, something for us to do. And He's got to change the, the, the status of those whom He has called to do these works first. And this He does in conversion. And now that we've been saved by grace, we've been saved for something, and that's for good works. Verse 10 tells us that for we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the purpose of our salvation. It is not so that we can be sedentary Christians, spiritual sloths, just those who have trusted in some fire insurance and now we're good until the day we go see Jesus. He has created us for a purpose, for His glory, for good works, that our lives should walk in them. The text tells us that we are God's worksmanship. Uh, I'm not very good with tools, but I sure do enjoy using them. I've made several benches and things in the backyard, and they're all a bit wobbly. Uh, but they're fun, right? And I look at that thing and say, man, that's, that looks pretty good. And you get the sandpaper out and make sure it's level. Um, this word worksmanship means something that is created by someone that is prized. It can be used of a poem. This is, I wrote that. It can be used as a masterpiece of art. We are his masterpiece of work of art. Or it can be used like a craft. Uh, something that you, you make at a tool bench with wood and a lathe for a purpose. As you think about all of God's works, all the things that he's created. He's created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land and all that is in them. And as complex as the bottom of the seas are, as magnificent as the heavens are, and how amazing the, the human body is, the crowning jewel of His creation is the Christian, is the church. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We are His prized creation. We are His Worksmanship. It's like God sat at a, a craft bench and formed us just perfectly, saving us by the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, empowering us by the Holy Spirit, giving us the hope of eternal life, so that we might walk in the good works which He has prepared for us. As we think about things that might be created for some, by somebody, you know, some paintings you, you paint and it looks pretty. In some paintings, you, look, you paint and it looks pretty and it serves a purpose to convey a message. My brother's an art history major. We went to the Montgomery Museum of Fine Arts and, man, I got to that place in 15 minutes. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And uh, 
Then Hart said, come here. Let me, let's, let me show you what this means. And he sat there and explained all this uh, modern art to me. And, uh, and while I couldn't appreciate it, what it looked like, I sure could appreciate it, what it was saying. When God creates us at His worksmanship, we've been worked on a lathe. And it's not just put under a piece of glass, but it's for a purpose to be used, perhaps as a, a hammer handle or, or a leg on a, an important chair. Did you know that this is why Christ has saved you? It is for your salvation, for sure, and for your enjoyment of eternity from now and forever. Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There's enjoyment in salvation. But it's also to work hard. It's also to do good works. So that others might benefit from the knowledge of Christ. That others might be built up. That the kingdom might grow. That the church might expand. People might grow deeper in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 2 tell us that we were walking. We were walking in our trespasses and sins. When Scripture says that we're walking, to walk means your manner of life. What, what is your life like? Well, I'm walking according to this. Or I'm walking according to that. We used to be walk, walking according to our trespasses and sins. This is what our life was like. But now he tells us at the end of verse 10 that we are called to walk in these good works which God has prepared beforehand. If he's prepared them, by the way, it means we can't even boast about our good works. Because they weren't even our idea. They were his before he even created us. And now we get to walk in them as he has desired us to. How do we apply this text? Perhaps the Holy Spirit supplied it to you already in your own heart. But let me point out a few things. Fundamentally, I would say to those who are investigating Christ, thank you for being here. I'd love to talk to you. Um, even if you've been a member of our church for a long time, come talk to me if you're confused or something I said that doesn't make sense. But fundamentally, I'd say don't trust in your good works for salvation. It won't get you to heaven. It won't get you to heaven. Only receiving Christ by faith will. Laying down your efforts. That's the only way you can be saved. It's by stop trying to save yourself. You can't do it. For Christians, though, I'd like to make a few pointed applications. The first, and you'll see these in your outline, by the way. Good works are a fruit of a saved soul. Good works are fruit of a saved soul. Someone who has been made alive together with Christ, raised together with Him, and seated together with Him in the heavenly places <clears throat> will have a life that looks different than before. Not a perfect life of obedience, but a life that is different. You plant an apple tree in your backyard, guess what? It's going to grow apples. I know it's a hard one. Uh, that's how the Christian life works. God saves us, and there's evidence in our life. If there's not evidence in your life, come talk to me. Because true conversion, it does indeed produce fruit. Secondly, though, we have freedom to serve. Isn't it great news we don't have to earn our salvation? That we can be free of the rat race, trying to impress other people, or really just be better than other people. I used to have drug dealers um, as my neighbors in Montgomery. 
Um, man, it was a lot easier being better than they were, right? I mean, just don't sell uh, dope and you're doing well. I've got great neighbors now in, in uh, Bruton, Alabama. I've got to work hard. That's not how we're saved. Isn't it great? You don't have to work hard to be somebody, get a great reputation, have some title, just so you'll be important. Um, Christ frees us of that, of the need to be recognized. Uh, he frees us from either trying to earn our salvation or forgetting the gospel in our Christian life and, and trying to build ourselves up. I love history. I don't know if you know that about me. And, uh, you know, during college, I got one of those degrees that's good for nothing except going on to graduate school, uh, and that was history. And, uh, and I enjoyed history, but, you know, I enjoy it a lot more now because I don't have to get a grade. You know, when you're doing something for a grade, you might be able to enjoy it a little bit, but you really don't. It's just a performance. Well, guess what? The trial's, the trial's over. And if we're in Christ Jesus, we passed. Not because of anything we did, but because Christ did it for us. Um, therefore, we can enjoy it. I enjoy history now a whole lot more, and I don't have to take a test on it. In his book, um, The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness, Tim Keller, pastor in, in New York, said, But in Christianity, the verdict can give you the performance. How? Because Jesus went on trial instead. Christ has been on trial for us. We've been declared guilty. I mean, we're, we're guilty, right? But Christ, because of what He's done, now we've been declared righteous. Because what He has done has been credited to our account. And therefore, out of this freedom of not having to one-up each other, and not having to say, hey, I'm so much better than so-and-so, we can serve each other out of love. We do this as we, the third application here, as we follow the example of Christ. Christ is the example of our service. There are a lot of things Christ did that we can't do. We're not God. They don't work like that. But we can follow His example in service. Mark 10.45 says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Christ, our Master, who is the God-man Jesus... Uh, if the God-man Jesus, if God could take on flesh and, and be so humbled and humiliated, being born in a stable, submitting Himself to punishment that He could have stopped at any given time, then, then how much more shall His followers seek to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the watching world that they might know the love of Jesus? Finally, God has uniquely made us for unique gifts. Isn't it good that we all have different gifts? I look at y'all and I see so many different gifts the Lord has given each and every one of you. It's fun to see how the Lord brings to a single congregation so many different people from different backgrounds and trainings and desires and pursuits and giftings. That's because how, that's how God works. We are His worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And one of the ways He does this is to um, liken the church to a body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
We're not all eyes. We're not all ears. We're not all preachers. We're all, not all hearers. We're not all artists. We're not all architects. We're not all engineers. Praise God for those things. Because as the body works, each using its unique gifting, we are fulfilling God's call in our lives. As those whose statuses have been changed, we, now, we are now the having been saved one. Something's happened in the past, and it will, it will in, um, inform and define who we are from now and all eternity. As we work as those together, fulfilling God's call upon us, it's a beautiful thing what can be done. Later in, chap- in verse 18 of, of chapter 12 of verse Corinthians, Paul says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. God has chosen for our congregation the gift mix that we have, that He might call us to walk in the good works which He has prepared beforehand. Well, as we conclude, think about those former citizens who were made soldiers. They got their new statuses at their enlistment. They were trained. Then they had jobs that their superiors gave them. And one of that big job was to invade, uh, invade France and to take the battle to the bad guys. And what great victory they accomplished, liberating millions of people from the tyranny of the Nazi regime. But let me tell you, while the greatest generation did a lot, It pales in comparison to what the local church can achieve for the kingdom of God if God's people who have been saved by grace come together to work for His glory as we walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, seeking to fulfill His call upon our lives, even as we wait for the coming of Jesus. We can do so much together as the Holy Spirit gives us strength. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have been saved by grace. Help us, Lord, to walk in the good works which you have prepared for us beforehand, that we might bring you glory and be able to proclaim the excellencies of your grace. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.